Good evening, everybody. As you have a seat, I want to say hi. How are you? My name's Corey. What is your name? I don't know. How do you follow? <laughs> uh, my name is Corey, and uh, I'm just so honored to get to uh, be opening God's Word with you this week. Um, I'd love to tell you a little bit about myself, just so you know a little bit of who I am. Um, we covered my name. Uh, I was born at a young age. Um, I, uh, I've been married for uh, 15 and a half years to my amazing wife, Katie, who is also here this week. We met up here, about 400-ish yards from where we're standing right now. Uh, I knew. She didn't. I knew. And it was like, if it was like a 90s movie, like a, like a 70s rock song would have come on, you know, where it was like Wayne's World, where I was like, what? Uh, and then she thought I was creepy because she's like, why are you staring at me? I was like, I don't know. I, I thought this only happened in the movies. Uh, and we got married. And then nine months and one day later had a baby. Uh, <laughs> so got that party started pretty quick. Uh, and at that time, I was already in ministry. I, I've, been serving, um, I've been serving Jesus in vocational ministry since November of 2006. If you remember the old, if you've been around a while, you remember the old youth specialties job board, anybody? It's like how we found jobs. Uh, and I was at a, I was at a, um, what was it? It was like a New Year's Eve party with my girlfriend, who I married, at her family's house. And so her dad was asking me all kinds of prodding questions. What do you want to do with your life? I was like, I want to be in ministry. He's like, well, are you, are you in ministry now? And I was like, no. He's like, why? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was, I'm 19. Lay off me. Uh, I didn't say that. that would, we, we would not be married if I had said that. Uh, and he's like, why don't you just look for a job? And I was like, that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> it was like a great idea. So I went home and I was like, youth ministry jobs on like Google, but like back in the day, Google. And, um, you know, before it was curated based off your data profile or whatever. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I dabble a little bit. Uh, like early Google, when it was like the good stuff, you know, you could actually find what you were looking for. And the youth specialties job board popped up and I went on there and applied for this job that was like just 30, 40 minutes depending on traffic from my house. And it was an internship. And I was like, it's a perfect place to start. Wouldn't you guys agree? Perfect place to start, internship, anyone? Yeah, anyone in here, an intern? Yeah, perfect place to start, you're doing great. Uh, you're killing it. And I uh, got the job. I have charisma, as your youth might say. I had, I had the riz uh, in that job interview. Uh, and um, I realize that sounds weird. It sounds like I just said I rizzed up a pastor. I didn't. Uh, <laughs> that's not what I did. Um, I got the job is what I did. And I showed up for my first day of work. I think I misspoke. It was November of 2007. I showed up for my first day of work and I was like, okay, how's this internship going to work? You can tell I was young. I had not asked the right questions. Um, he goes, what do you mean? And I was like, well, who's the youth pastor? And he's like, you're the youth pastor. And I was like, I thought this was an internship. I have no, no experience. Uh, I, I might even have negative experience. Uh, and he was like, nope, you're going to do great. I don't know if I've been doing great, but I've been doing it ever since. Like, I've been doing ministry since that time. I've been doing it. Uh, and I, I worked there for nine months, um, part-time youth director role. 
awesome. It made $25 an hour in 2007. Uh, amazing. That landed really well until California started paying fast food workers $20 an hour. Not as cool now to share that fact, but at the time, it was a lot of money. Uh, and so I just fell in love with it. In fact, I got saved in this chapel over here in July of 2005. I remember exactly where I was sitting, mostly because the seats haven't changed. Uh, <laughs> it's not a dig on Hume. I realize it would probably be a very expensive undertaking, but I hope they've washed them. You know, I hope someone has washed those sheets, seats a few times. Uh, but I, I was sitting in there, and I, I had kind of dabbled with God throughout my adolescence and youth, and had kind of an insatiable appetite for through high school for, for just fun, for a good time. Uh, and so church was that. Church was a good time. But I had no, there was no transformation in my life as a result of church because it was an activity that I did. But God was sowing seeds. In fact, in fourth and fifth grade, I went to a Christian school for two years. My family was not, we were not a Christian family. And it was God sowing seeds there. And then I dabbled in this youth group. And God was sowing more seeds. And... I went as a graduated senior with no skills except a love for smoking pot and pretty girls and making people laugh and an insatiable appetite for attention because of the trauma and just wounds that I had experienced throughout my childhood. And it turns out those aren't the best things to bring into ministry, you know, like that combo, that potpourri of stuff doesn't always lend you the best opportunity to be a, a ministry leader. And so I've noticed over the last um, 17 years, I think it's safe to say, in ministry that there is an ongoing transformation work that happens in our lives. Uh, obviously, most of what I shared with you that I was into in high school kind of stopped after I got saved. Like, I, I wasn't, like, into girls when I was a married pastor, not at all. I've uh, been married, you know, drugs, not, not really. I had a nose surgery. They gave me drugs after that. That's kind of it there. Uh, but I, I share all of that to say that the constant thread in my life throughout ministry has, has been this nagging question of, is it always going to be this way? And I recognize that as a stranger to strangers, that might be a strange place to start uh, a pastor's conference, a youth worker's conference. But I, I chose those words as I prepared my message for tonight really carefully because some of you may be in that place where you're going, is it always going to be this way? Like, am I always going to get done teaching and feel like, did I do a good job? Am I always going to get nervous when parents confront me about things happening or not happening in the youth group? Uh, am I always going to feel timid around my senior leader? Will they always not have time for me? Is that always how this is going to be? Um, I realize not everyone's story is the same, and so if your experience has been the opposite of what I'm sharing, God bless you, that's amazing, but, but my journey in ministry has been crafted and forged through having to figure things out, it seems like, the hard way, and maybe that's you. Maybe you are just getting started. Maybe you have been in this in, for a while. Then you would recognize that what I'm saying is true. There are seasons there are seasons in ministry. There are times where it's amazing, and there are times where it's difficult. My day job is uh, I started a nonprofit organization in, in January of 2020 and then made it official in September of 2021, and it's a nonprofit called Onward. 
And the whole concept of Onward is how do we come alongside of young ministry leaders and people who are leading young ministry leaders to help them navigate the difficulties and the trials that we face as people who have said yes to Jesus to serving him in full-time vocational ministry. We have a huge emphasis on pursuing health. We have a huge emphasis on personal coaching and mentorship, being a safe place for people outside of their organization um, that they can talk to, that they can process, that they can be as open and vulnerable as they'd like to be without fear of losing their job. And so um, there's, there's a lot of days where I sat in this chapel and uh, I wished that I had heard of an organization like what we've started because of how difficult it was, how hard it was. Not trying to be a wet blanket over what should be a wonderful week, but I understand how hard ministry can be. And I, I have been praying and prepping for these messages for the better part of the last month, specifically the last two weeks. And as I did so, I was asked to, let's, t- let's teach through the Psalms. So I'm going to do all the Psalms. I'm just kidding. I picked three. Uh, <laughs> we're going to do Psalm 119. Uh, the whole thing. Let's read it. Um, but as I, as I prayed for you all, not knowing the majority of those who would be here, and as I contemplated youth workers retreat, I felt, uh, I, I felt like I wanted to come in with a posture of, this is a really hard job, and it, and it, and it is supposed to be. This, this job at times can be really difficult, and um, that's because people are difficult, and sin is, is death, but that's also the beauty of the cross. And so it's not always going to be difficult, and the spiritual discipline of celebration is one that we oftentimes overlook, because when things are good, we should celebrate that. But tonight, longest, probably most odd intro ever, I wanted to direct our attention to Psalm 62. And so we're going to do Psalm 62 tonight, we're going to do Psalm 63 tomorrow night, and we're going to do the first two verses of Psalm 21 on Wednesday night. And so I share that ahead of time, just so you know where we're going. And also so you can hold me accountable, because if I get up here and teach out of Philippians tomorrow, you're going to be like, what happened? Uh, And I would say, like, I don't know, God put something different on my heart. I don't know what happened. Um, Psalm 62 tonight, 63 tomorrow night, first two verses of 121 the third night. Two things I want to make note of, and then it, for those of you who, who love to preach, we're officially out of the introduction now, okay? So we're at that next part in your notes, that next dash where you're like, talk about this. That's where I'm at on my notes right now, uh, and it's highlighted in purple. Um, <laughs> accountability right there, purple. Um, two things I want to invite you into as we jump into things this week. The first thing is... Uh, I very much would like for the teaching times, at least when I'm teaching, I don't know that all of the seminars and when my wife teaches that they would appreciate, appreciate this. But when I'm teaching, I want this to be interactive. Because the second part, I want you to feel the freedom to, to be as vulnerable as you're comfortable with this week because of the third thing I'm going to say. I have a friend who's an orthopedic surgeon, so he routinely works on wrists and elbows, shoulders. Uh, he's kind of a legend in our family because we don't have the best health insurance because I started a nonprofit, and it turns out there's not any profits <laughs> for me. Uh, very much not a, not a, a nonprofit uh, in the way things are going right now. Uh, and so it's good to have a friend who's a doctor, right? And so we have this motto in our family. We say, don't get hurt worse than Dr. Barth can fix it. Uh, 
because Dr. Barth has been known to bring my kids into his office at 7 a.m. before his clinic opens to put a cast on, to do x-rays, to do this, that, and the other as an orthopedic surgeon. It's fantastic. I, I didn't say that to brag. Don't pull away. We're in this together, but it is cool to have a friend that can cast your eight-year-old's arm up because she decided she wants to be a pro skateboarder having never skateboarded. Uh, it's just a good tool to have. One of the things that Dr. Barth loves to do is he loves to travel the United States um, and go to conferences teaching other doctors. And I perked up when we were at lunch, and he told me this. Uh, this was back in May. And I said, tell me about that, because I find myself in a lot of places now where I, as a pastor, am teaching other pastors, and realistically, there's nothing I could say that you probably haven't heard a podcast on, maybe even on the way here, read a book about recently, um, that you yourself have not thoroughly taught multiple times and had to write small group curriculum on, right? There's nothing, and you might be like, oh man, like, <laughs> dang it, I was really hoping you would do that. I'm probably not going to do that. And so Dr. Barth's words really helped me as we were having that conversation because what he said was, when I teach other doctors, I don't teach, um, I don't teach from a place of education. He said, so like, if it were you, I'm not preaching to these doctors. I'm not teaching them to educate them on something. They've done 10 years of school that cost them hundreds of thousands of dollars. They had better know the science behind what I get up to present on them. But what I do teach them is I teach them practice, and I teach them from a place of encouragement. And so I thought that was really good. This week, my goal is to teach you maybe the practice behind some of these concepts that I'm going to unpack for you and allow you to feel the encouragement and the freedom to not have to do this for other people, but to do this for yourself this week. For you to not have to feel like you need to take notes on what's being talked about so that you can use these talks for Sunday. I'll just give you the notes. Just process this for you because God has something for you this week. And God has something for those of you who are feeling weary, who are feeling tired. God has something for you who feel as though your cup is filled. God has something for you who feel like this is an incredible season of ministry, the kind that we pray for and hope for and take note of, because when it happens, you want to really savor it. God has something for those of you who are confused and have no idea how much longer you'll be at your church. God has something for those of you who feel incredibly insecure, because you don't yet have the confidence in your calling uh, and the trust that God did not make a mistake when he called you to bear that pastor of director or pastor or whatever it is that you wear. And so my goal is to teach you the practice behind it and to encourage you as the person who is leading others to do these things. Nobody likes an out-of-shape doctor. Nobody likes a slobby doctor. We want to go to doctors who are like ripped, like on Grey's Anatomy, which how many episodes of that show are there? My wife has been watching it for like most of our adult lives. I don't understand how that works. Uh, I'm not that, um, clearly. But I, I wasn't saying like, hey, I'm the guy you should listen to. I'm more just saying your ministry and your leadership become stronger when you press into the things that you're teaching others to do. When you allow these practices to transform your life, you are more effective at what you do. And so here's the way we're going to start and then... Um, and then, yeah, this is how we're going to start. I'm going to read Psalm 62 for you. As I read this, I want you to do two things. I want you to have a piece of paper and a pen in front of you, and if you don't have a piece of paper and a pen, there's some pens in the back, and there are also some booklets that Hume gave you that have some space in there that you could doodle on or draw on, and so I'm going to read this psalm to you, the first eight verses of it, and 
As I do, I want you to take note of what stands out to you. I also want you to take note of uh, what you're coming into this week feeling or experiencing. And so you're going to do this for me. You're going to draw a circle in the middle of your page, and you're just going to write your name in the middle of it. So draw a circle in the middle of the name of the page as big as your name would fit in it. And then as I pray us into this and as I open Psalm 62 and read it for you, I want you to just do whatever you need to do to get into a contemplative space. If it's to close your eyes, if it's to just listen to my words, I want you to pay attention to what words rise to the surface about how you're feeling going into this week. Are you tired? Are you excited? Are you pumped to get to interact and network with other youth workers? Are you overwhelmed and do you want to go hide in your room? What, what emotions are you feeling? What feelings are you feeling coming into this week. Another way to say this is how are you doing? Truly, how are you doing? Take note of that and focus on what stands out here in this passage as I read it. David writes this. He says, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Truly he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. How long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence. Surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies, but their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse. Yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trusted him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. As I pray, I want you to just continue to take note of how you're doing and connect that to your name that's in the middle of the page. I'm going to take like a 30-second pause as I go into this prayer to allow you to do that. So God, we, uh, we kick this week off having just got to pour out our praise to you and worship you because you're good and you're holy and you alone are deserving. Lord, we assemble as a group of women and men who have said yes to the call to serve you, to be shepherds, to be teachers, to be leaders, to be pastors, to be directors, to be caregivers. Lord, I pray that you would meet each of us here this week. That as, as James says, God, that as we draw near to you, that you would draw near to us. That that cup that maybe some of us have been holding out for others to fill, God, would you fill it in ways that are just unique, in ways that make each of the women and men here feel seen and known and understood by you, their heavenly father, the one who loves them, the one who cares for them the one who loves to do ministry alongside of each of them. We love you so much. Amen. So what did you write down? What are some of the words that came to mind?
Just, you just yell at me. I have four kids. Go for it. Refuge. Love it. Constant. Confused. Coming in this week feeling confused. Thank you for sharing that. Disconnected. Thanks for sharing that. Curious. I like that. Who said that? Hopeful. Thank you. You're probably the only one here that feels that, so <laughs> that's a hard one. Thank you for sharing that. I saw you had you have your kids with you. Yeah, extra tired. <laughs> Let's pray. Extend a hand. Uh, what else? Waiting quietly. Yeah. What other words would you use to describe how you're coming into this week? Lost. Who said needing rest? Needing rest. Stretched or stressed? Both. Got it. Anticipating. There was one over here I missed. Inadequate. Yeah. Like a fraud. Thank you for sharing that. Unstable. Burdened? Burned out. Unsure. Anxious. But you guys are you guys are supposed to have all the answers. Isn't that that lie though, right? When you're like finally honest with yourself about how you feel and you're like it is such a lie. It says who? Nobody says that. Nobody says that you should not be feeling these things. It's not the fact that each of us are feeling emotions it's what we choose to do with them, right? It's what we choose to do with them. Are there any other words that come to mind? Pressured. Pressured, Pressured that you're standing right over me, making me yell out <laughs> words to you. <laughs> so I'll go this way. What was it? Blessed. Blessed. I like that. Christian, right? I saw you have your hat low, I couldn't tell. Good to see you, buddy. Any others? Insecure. Yeah. Unfocused. Steady. Any others? Not cool enough? I feel that one. That is a real pressure. Thank you for sharing that. Annoyed. With me? That was, that was my insecurity, sorry. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that. Unworthy. It's taking everything in me not to go, but, but God says, but God says, but God says. I'm not going to do that. What else? certain about the future. These are all real. I mean, there's something fascinating if, if you've been noticing, if you're like in the way back or if people in front of you have talked, there's this interesting thing that happens. Someone will share a word that's connected to a deep emotion and like five people go, hmm, you're not alone. You're not alone. Psalm 62 says, truly my soul finds rest in God. 
My salvation comes from him. I'm reading in the NIV. Does somebody have a different translation that they could read from? Just the first verse. If you could be loud. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Who else has a translation that uses the word alone? That's not the ESV. Could you read it for me really loud? So verse 1 says, truly my soul finds rest in God. There's, there's a Hebrew word in there that the NIV doesn't quite pick up on. And it's this word alone. In fact, in the first six verses of Psalm 52, this word alone in reference to God is used six times. It's repetitive. Like if you've ever taught on Isaiah 6, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, you would say what? You would say, well, repetition is, is a, a, um, a tool that the writer is using. Have you ever taught that part of a sermon before? Yeah, where you're like, he's repeating it. That means it's important. I think we all pull from the same bag of tricks at the end of the day. The first six verses here, David uses the word alone six times in reference to God. My, my hope tonight is to help paint a picture for you that your only need as a leader is God alone. The only need you have as a leader is God. He says, truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him. Two things David highlights that can only be found in God. What are they? Salvation and Pretend, um, pretend you're teaching, and then you would, be, you would be the person in the crowd that you would want. Salvation and? I love it. See, help me out here. You guys have been where we've done this before. He says, truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will never be shaken. David affirms that the only truly restful place that his soul can find is found in the presence of God. God alone is how he words it. And this is really the main point of this psalm. The, the main point of this psalm is that the longings for the soul, those questions that each of us are left with at the end of the day when we're alone on our pillow and we're running through all of the things that happen during our day, I'm not talking about the, did I do a good job, or, you know, did the night go well, or I have a big thing coming up tomorrow, I've been prepared. I'm talking about, like, the deeper, am I, am I doing this right? The existential questions that we tend to face as humans at times. David takes those existential questions that each of us ask ourselves. Why? Because they're connected to the soul. Where do I go when I die? Why am I so tired? Will I ever feel fulfilled in this career path that I chose? I longed forever to have a spouse, and now I have one. Why do I still feel lonely? Am I a good parent? Am I contributing good into the world? Am I alone in asking these questions? No, these are deeply human questions. David, if his name was on that circle on the paper that you wrote, he would be connecting his thoughts, feelings, and emotions as Psalm 62 is written to these feelings. And so what he's doing is he's affirming these truths to himself. I need rest. I'm so tired. My soul finds rest in God alone. 
There's nowhere else my soul can find the type of rest. Now, now leisure and pleasure and entertainment can offer a type of rest. So we know that David's not talking about the, I just worked 60 hours this week, you know, had a dude killed on the front lines, found out I'm going to have another kid here soon, I'm exhausted, kind of. This isn't like David processing like some of the stories that we've heard about him. The rest that he's talking to, the tiredness that his soul is feeling is, is related to a deeper type of exhaustion that you feel as a human. The kind of tiredness that can really only come from living. And so he wants to affirm that before I start to fill my life with these other things, the pleasures of the palace, the accoutrements that would accompany having such a high place of authority and position of influence within the kingdom of Israel, David goes, before I turn to those things, the wine, the women, the whatever it is that he would turn to, he's going, no, 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 no. My soul only finds rest in God. And then he says, in God alone is my salvation, my eternity, the, the thing that I long for the most, the bookend of this world that concludes our time here, and the hope that we have that there is an afterlife, and that we do get to live forever in the presence of God. You know this, his word describes him as love. His word describes his eternal presence as a place without tears, without pain, without sorrow, where pavement is gold where time doesn't exist, where goodness and love are the reality that we find ourselves in. David says, God is the only place where I can find that. He's proclaiming these truths to himself. And then he talks about these adversaries. And it's interesting how he talks about them. He says, how long will you assault me? Would all of you throw me down this leaning wall, this tottering fence? It's kind of an interesting play on words that he uses here because David oftentimes talks about his enemies, his adversaries, and there's times where he wishes like some pretty crazy things on the people who are coming after him, <laughs> like things that I don't, you know, he talks about killing Babylonian babies, like all kinds of crazy stuff, right? This reads as one of those times, but it's not. What David is doing is he's talking here, he says, how long will you assault me? So he's addressing an enemy, and the tottering fence and the leaning wall that he refers to isn't necessarily like the, the place where he's sitting. This isn't like, oh, you're going to try and push me off a wall. No, he's talking, about, he's talking about the people who would have it out for him. Like, like your evil desires, your, your desire to hurt me, your desire to harm me is a, is a shoddy fence. It's a leaning wall. It doesn't hold up. Why? Because my soul finds rest in God alone. Like, it's, it's, it's very similar to Jesus saying, the gates of hell won't prevail against my church. It's that same kind of thing. Like, you, you, you're going to assault me for how long? You're a leaning wall. You're a, totter, a tottering fence. He says, surely they intend to topple me from my lofty place. They take delight in lies. With their mouths they bless, but with their hearts they curse. Side note, the second half of verse 4 might be, like, how we know David was a spiritual leader. Have you ever felt this before? With their mouths they bless, but in their hearts they curse? You're like, he got it. He understood the struggle. He probably just got out of like a parent meeting, you know? And that one parent asked a question, and you're like, oh, here we go. Here it comes. He goes on to say, yes. So after acknowledging the enemy in the room, after acknowledging the plans to bring him down, after acknowledging the desire to chop him from the lofty place, the place that God put him, I don't think it's a stretch to say it's the same place God has put each of you. It's influence. 
A lofty place refers to a place of influence. The enemy refers to someone who would like to cut you down from the place of influence that God has hand-selected each and every single one of you to be in. Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So the role you have, the title you have, the job you have, is something that God had planned long, long, long ago for you to be doing. So the serving that you find yourself doing in this day and age is a type of service that comes from the sovereignty of God. And, and that may be true for today and may not be true for tomorrow because we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know that God's sovereignty holds true tomorrow. We may not know where the expression of God's sovereignty as it plays out in our lives will be three weeks, six months, 12 months from now. We may not know that. But what we do know is that today, each and every single one of you are exactly where you need to be. And it turns out, is that a retreat at Hume Lake? That's pretty awesome. Okay, we go on. He says, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. Can someone with other than the NIV read verse 5 for us? What was that? NLT. NLT? Give me another one. Will you read that one more time? For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is in you. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence? There's the alone again that we were talking about. NIV, yes, my soul finds rest in God. My hope comes from him. It's language that Jesus uses in Matthew 11, right? Do you, are you familiar with Matthew 11? Have you read it recently? Matthew 11 says in verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. David is affirming the same thing that Jesus would turn to the crowds and say. And again, I, I think it's easy, and especially in a setting like this where we all are in ministry, the temptation to say, uh, the temptation is to say, are you tired from your job? Are you tired from life? The second is a more accurate representation of the invitation that Jesus is getting us from. If you're tired from your job, the weekend's coming. If you're tired from your job, I realize there's not a lot of new television shows, but, you know, rewatch some old ones, right? If you're, if you're tired from work, that's what time off is for. Jesus is referring to a deeper exhaustion. Jesus is, 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 is saying, are you tired from existing? Has life made you exhausted? Then the, the thing that we do as humans is we're going to begin to look to other things and people and places we're going to begin to try to attach our souls to vices or coping mechanisms because life has made us so exhausted. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to attach my life to alcohol because alcohol, for the couple hours that I indulge in it, can make me not feel the pain and exhaustion of life that I'm feeling. And really, all those coping mechanisms are doing is they're deferring the feeling of life's exhaustion until you wake up or until you choose to get sober if it's not... Alcohol, maybe it's something different. I, I will not pretend to assume 
that even a room full of ministry leaders doesn't indulge in coping mechanisms to manage the pain of life and ministry. And this isn't in my notes, but maybe this week you need to confess that. Maybe this week we need to open up the closet doors and change the light bulbs and see what we've been just throwing in there because life is hard and time is short and I had a job to do. I had this really interesting thing happen when we left Hume in 2017. I always said we're going to get a puppy because you can't have dogs when you live up here at Hume because it's a tyrannical system they run here. Um, <laughs> apparently they hate joy and goodness. I don't know. Uh, and so I did that because I'm a man of my word. I got a dog. Uh, and it was like a month after I left Hume. And we got a French bulldog. His name is Ozzy. And Ozzy's the best. I think that. Not everyone in my family thinks that, but it doesn't matter. I think that. Uh, and so we got Ozzy, and Ozzy was, he didn't come potty trained. So if you don't have a dog, just remember, they don't come knowing what to do, like, with their potty. I, don't, I didn't know how to finish my sentence. They don't know what to do with it a lot of times. And so um, we had this closet in our room, and we had just moved. If anyone's moved recently, there's this thing you do when you move where things just get shoved places until you have enough time to finish. It's like 90% of the work gets done when you have the help or the movers, and then it's that last 10% that takes like six to eight months, right? Just me. Okay, cool. Uh, and so our closet was like one of those places where we still had clothes and like wardrobe boxes and just things that we didn't know where to put places. And we also had a puppy. And the light had gone out in our closet. And I had to find some clothes that I was looking for that I hadn't seen since we moved. And so I went into the closet and went, oh, I'm so dumb. Like, you can only use your iPhone flashlight for too long before you realize, should probably finally change the light bulb, you know? Probably time to change this and unpack the boxes. And I changed the light bulb, and I realized that the dog actually wasn't potty trained, um, that the closet is where he was doing his business. And so I wasn't finding it anywhere else because he had this little cute corner in the back of the closet that uh, it just looked awful in there. Confession is the act of changing the light bulb. Repentance is the act of cleaning up the mess and resolving to not do that again. Right? I heard this quote on the way up here today. I was listening to a Chuck Swindoll sermon. Um, just an OG. Like, seriously, get some of him in your life if you are a fan of preaching. And uh, he said this, he said, leaders who refuse to be personably accountable forfeit their right to be followed. Leaders who refuse to be personally held accountable forfeit their right to be followed. Uh, Jesus would say it this way. He says this to the scribes and Pharisees in Matthew 23, I believe it is. Uh, it could be 22. But he, he calls them blind guides. He accuses them of heaping loads on people's shoulders that they themselves don't even follow. We have to make sure that we remain fit for service through the act of confession and repentance, making sure that you, as a ministry leader, are accountable to somebody. Not because you deserve discipline, not because we need to get you straightened out, but because your soul is going to get tired, and if you're not used to the act of allowing Jesus to bear the burdens with you of life, you're going to find something to temporarily fix the pain that wearing heavy things and bearing heavy things brings upon us. So Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The interesting thing about yokes and burdens is that Jesus doesn't promise to take them away. He promises to do them with us, right? And, and, and friend, that's precisely where your best ministry is always going to come from. 
Like you can't delegate away your personal responsibility to be actively growing in your faith. You might have interns, you might have staff, you might be the intern or the staff. One day you're in charge of a team. You can't believe the lie that you can delegate away your own personal relationship with Jesus. It does not work that way. And if it feels like a burden, and if it feels like a yoke, which would be that wooden beam across the oxen's shoulders, right? It's because it is. Jesus says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Like, it is, it is meant to be work. Our best ministry comes when we're not doing ministry for God, but when we're doing ministry with God, alongside of him, step in step, following his leading, confessing and repenting, inviting others into this journey of faith that we've been on. He says, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So if we look back to if we look back to Psalm 62, verse 5 one more time, he says, yes, my soul will find rest in God. We covered that. He says, truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, and I will not be shaken. Uh, take a crack at what fortress means, or refuge, some translations say. Defensive position. What else? What is a refuge? What is a fortress? Yeah? Safe place. There, now we're getting there. Keep going. Yeah. Last week I noticed the linen closet at the top of our stairs was flung open and it looked like, like a demogorgon had been in there. And I was like, what is happening? So I turn and my two youngest children, my youngest son is our last biological kid. His name is Max. He just turned 11. He's a boy through and through. Uh, my daughter was adopted in 2018, and she is amazing and does not think within any parameters of any box that this life would want to put on her. She convinced her big brother, and it's an interesting dynamic because she was adopted. They're both the baby in the family, Right? It's a hard dynamic to explain, but if you've ever witnessed it, it's kind of funny. Like they're both trying to outdo each other by being the youngest, but one is older. And so they decided to take every blanket and every pillow and like the tri-folding mattress that sometimes guests who come to our house sleep on if we're too lazy to set up the actual guest bed. Uh, and they had made a fort behind the upstairs couch. It was actually a really good fort. Uh, it was a good one. I was proud of it. And I'm like, Dad, you have to go in the fort. And I was like, uh, okay. Let's do that. You know, I had to like lather up first to crawl in between the couch and the wall. Uh, so I slid my body back behind there and I thought I was stuck. Like that movie about the Chilean miners, like I'm trapped in here. I'm <laughs> stuck. Like someone call help. I'm going to be here for a while. Um, and, uh, and I get to the back and there was a chair and a table with a rug and a book on the table. And I went, what's this? And my daughter goes, this is my happy place. And I was like, cool, clean it up. You made a big mess. That's what this refuge is. Like when he says, God is my safe place, God is my hiding place, just think about all the stories you know to be true about David. Him hiding in caves, him going to war, like a refuge, a hiding place, a safe house, a fort. 
But God is my refuge. God is where I find rest. God is where I find salvation. David's referring to a very special place in his life where he retreats to remind his soul with all the longings and how enough is never enough and the deepest desires and longings of his heart. And he sits here and preaches things that I think are so important for us as ministry leaders to be um, incredibly intentional with. It's only in God that you're going to find the rest that you need. It's only in God. In fact, it's only in God that you're going to find that refuge, that safe place, that home. It's not in a person. It's not in a physical space. It's not in a spouse. These things can be a type of, but they're never going to fulfill you in the way that God will. And so the invitation that we have is an invitation for us to, as leaders, allow Jesus to not only shoulder that weight with us, but for our souls to become disciplined in the art of sitting and resting and existing in a place where God is enough. Pete, Pete Scazzaro in Emotionally Healthy Spirituality says that ignoring our emotions is turning our back on reality. Listening to our emotions ushers us into reality, a reality where we can meet God. Emotions are the language of the soul. They are the cry that gives the heart a voice. And so the practice that I want to give you tonight, because again, I have likely said nothing that you yourself have not thought or studied or written curriculum on, but the practice that I want to give you is this week to take note of the emotions that you're feeling in your leadership and to take them to God, who is our refuge and our strength. And maybe, maybe you're from a different faith background or denominational background or you know, maybe you're from a, a type of church or spiritual upbringing that is like, you know, doesn't allow room for this. I don't mean to sound controversial and I don't mean to sound disrespectful, but how is that working out for you? Because I come from one of those where things like emotions and things like bringing you to the table with God are frowned upon. And I just want to say this as leaders, it could be frowned upon in the setting that you find yourself in but you're going to be really frowned upon when you burn out and morally fail in ministry because you haven't learned how to be emotionally healthy. Like I, I sit on Zoom with people from across the country who are having a really hard time at feeling free to admit, I'm having a hard time. Friend, it's bad theology to assume that you can't be honest with your emotions and your feelings. Jesus promises to meet you exactly where you are. Do you know where you are? It's going to be impossible for God to meet you where you are if you don't know where you are. And so when Jesus invites you to rest with him, to, 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 to take upon you his yoke and his burden, you have to have language and the emotional intelligence within yourself as a leader to know what that is so that you can bring it to God and invite him into it. So here, here's how I'd like to close our time. One more time with the pen and the paper, okay? Find another blank square. You probably just need like a, I don't know, four by two or a whole page if you got it. And here's what I want you to do as we close our time, okay? I want you to reflect on what you need from God this week. To use my analogy of my youngest daughter's blanket fort. 
how would he set up your fort? That came out weird. It looked way cooler on my notes. Um, <laughs> do you ever have that where you're like, this is going to be a ooh, and then you say it, and you're like, no, it didn't land. Uh, that's what just happened. Uh, <laughs> and then sometimes you'll double down. You'll be like, no, but how would he set up your fort? And you're like, still not working. What would that fort look like for you? I don't mean draw it, obviously. And like any analogy, if you take it too far, it totally falls apart. I'm just saying my daughter, who is high energy, who struggles learning, who tends to be the center of attention a lot because of her antics, her safe place was a place that was covered and quiet and had a book for her to read. And to her, that was really special. So what do you need from God this week? It's going to probably be attached to some of those words that you shared at the beginning of our session together. It's going to probably be attached to what you're feeling uh, deficient in, in your leadership, in your life. It could be quiet. It could be peace. It could be laughter. It could be a card game at snack in a little while. It's unique to you because we're all unique as individuals. But the takeaway is our souls are not going to find the rest that they need as leaders in any place but with God. So what does that rest need to look like for you this week? I want you to just take some time. Maybe it's writing out a prayer. Maybe it's reflecting on some of these verses. But let's do that, and uh, I'll jump up and, and just share one more verse with us, and we'll close. Sound good? Everyone clear? Psalm 46 says that God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Sometimes when we allow ourselves to feel like kind of some of those emotions and that fear and anxiety and we give ourselves a second for them to come to the surface the part of our brain that's responsible for re protecting us kicks in and makes us want to run or suppress or hide. But the only way to actually deal with those things is to, is to just gaze at it. It's not going to hurt you. It can't be dealt with if you don't take the time to address it. And so maybe this week there's some addressing that needs to happen. As I was sitting over here praying during that song, I also wanted to just reiterate again Maybe some of us need to confess some things this week. Maybe, maybe you've been dealing with things in unhealthy ways, and, 
you don't have a safe person at your church or in your life, um, I, I, I would be honored to, to sit with you in some of those things. I, I know my wife would too. Um, not necessarily anything except an invitation to say, if you need somebody, totally here for you. Um, and if you have that person here or you need to make a phone call, um, do that. You'll be just amazed at how free you feel when you shine the light on the dark places of your life and how much more you feel like you can step into the calling that God has placed on your life without feeling like so much of a hypocrite. So that may be for everybody, that may just be for somebody, but I noticed some perking up when I touched on that, and so I wanted to just press into it and say, it's okay. Like, it's okay. We all mess up. Um, like, uh, the, the closing verse, or the closing quote that I had was a John Calvin quote when he said, he said, if God isn't enough for you, then you're looking for something that is beyond perfection. So if God is not enough for you, if God can't be your refuge, if God can't be your place of, of strength, if God can't be, him alone can't be your salvation, then what you're actually looking for is something that doesn't exist because God is perfect. And so if God can't be that for you, then what can? And so it's okay to press into him. Let me just pray one more time over you and, and we'll conclude our night. Uh, but thank you guys so much for your time. I, I hope that that was beneficial to you and kind of where you're coming into this week. So God, we thank you so much for your grace, God, for your mercy. We thank you for a chance to pause and to breathe and to maybe practice some of the things that we've been encouraging others to do. Lord, I thank you for every woman and man that's here that's chosen to follow you and to serve you in this way. God, I pray that you would allow them to find the rest that their soul needs this week. And that it would be a reminder that that can only be found in you. You are the perfect one. We thank you for the gospel. Jesus, that you conquered death. And that that same resurrection power is, is the spirit of God that lives in each of us. Fill us, God. In your name we pray.